like Brent Lowry and I bet I could watch you spread your air out all day. But when you're done doing whatever, when you're through playing whoever, you know that the Nats fans will be right here waiting for you. Well, hi, and welcome back to Resting Pitch Face. This is episode four. Um, you can find us, as always, on Twitter at Rest in Pitch Face. You can find us on Tumblr at restingpitchfacepodcast.tumblr.com. We are on iTunes if you look for Resting Pitch Face. And you can, we can also be reached uh, by Gmail at restingpitchface at gmail.com. Today we're going to kind of shift things up a little bit. There's obviously a lot of news going around almost entirely trade related. So we decided instead of talking about a little bit of news from all around, we're going to save that. We're going to actually have just a full on trade segment a little bit later in the show. Um, so tonight or this afternoon, we're going to start with the players and plays we love for this past two weeks. So in ongoing things we love about what the Nats have done in the last couple of weeks, can we talk about that three, three, five triple play? <laughs> yes. Yes. I had a friend who texted me who asked if I was going to get that as a tattoo. <laughs> That's I actually said, not a bad idea. <laughs> I said no. <laughs> um, but yes, friend of the show and Mets fan, I guess needed needed something to ask, and I'm not getting that as a tattoo. But there, some of other, the rest of us may be taking it under consideration. <laughs> not a bad idea. I'm yeah. so mad that I was asleep. Oh yeah. So I woke up and the, like my phone was just a full page of alerts. It's like, why did I sleep? Why am I a human being with needs? <laughs> well, well, I was awake for the inning before it. But obviously, have watched the video about you know three thousand times. Um, I I'm actually kind of surprised that that is the first one in history. The uh, three three five. Yeah, you. Th I mean, I know it's unusual, but you'd think that. That's like not such a random conflu of, confluence of events that it couldn't have happened before. Yeah. You know? Um, well, and I, I kind of, and I again was also asleep for this because West Coast road trips are the worst. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I kind of liked everyone's look of confusion right after. Like, uh, oh, mm -hmm. like, zero, zero outs, bases loaded. This feels like, oh, huh. Yep. We could just throw a cross and you took off from third and whoops, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> tagging back is important. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it, I guess he thought it was a, he, that it short hopped or something, which, I mean, happening that fast, I might have thought it would short hopped. <laughs> um, not that he just caught it that quickly and neatly, but... Um, I have to wonder where the third base coach was in all of that. Like, did he also think it short hopped? Because clearly the runner did. From looking at the video, uh, what was Crawford, right? Looking at the video, Crawford was way past the sightlines of that third base coach. That third base coach could have been like doing a jig, and I don't think <laughs> Brandon Crawford would have seen him because he, you know, he had his back to him by that point. Uh, which not not probably bad base running, or you know, definitely bad base running because he made an out. But um, I don't. I mean, yeah, I don't think I don't know if I could put that on the third base coach. I had to say it was very very confusing for me personally watching Brian Zimmerman throw the other way. <laughs> across the field. That was a bit of a surprise. Um, but clearly it worked. Yeah. Um, I guess you don't really generally have to throw across the diamond that way. Certainly, yeah. Certainly not if you're used to throwing the other way. I guess, I mean, his arm still works. And it was still attached at the end of the throw. 
Yeah, after all that drama about Ryan Zimmerman throwing across the diamond, he made history with it. All you gotta do is just go the opposite direction. (laughs) (laughs) Problem solved. (laughs) I do wonder if, like, the minute they got off the field, they're like, okay, ice, cortisone, uh, let's just. Oil for the bionic joints. Exactly. (laughs) Like, treating him like he was the Tin Man. Just. The whole business. Um, but yeah, I think it, that was the first triple play in Nats history. Yes. Probably. I mean, triple yeah. plays don't come around very often. Yeah. No, it definitely was the first. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's also the first one of its kind in history. So good job, Nats. That's probably yes. a record that's going to stay for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's going to be one of those ones that gets overturned like tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I hope uh, Sammy Solis bought everyone a beer after that. Like, <laughs> like I was coming on. Oh God, it was all gonna. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Wheels stayed on. Yeah. Right, Zimmerman's wheel arm stayed on, and the wheels on the bus stayed on. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that was exciting. Even if we all were sleeping through it. Read uh, or listeners, if you want us to be able to report on these things better, maybe send us some caffeine so we can <laughs> stay up for the the West Coast games more consistently, um, <laughs> or just not nine to five jobs. Um, yeah, yeah independent. Yeah. Make us independently wealthy, and then uh, we can just do this. No. And there's a real solution. Uh, Laura, Laura, did you want to talk about uh, Baby Trey? Sure. Other things in threes. <laughs> yeah. Talk about are we calling him Trey Triples or Triples Trey? Which do we like better? I kind of like Trey Triples, but that's because then I can still put baby Trey on the front of it. Yeah. Little baby Trey Triples. Alright. The, right. the spreadsheet I'm looking at, I have named Baby Trey. <laughs> baby Trey Triples has hit three so far in the month of July. Also the only three he's hit at the major league level, given how he hasn't spent a whole lot of time at the major league level. Mm-hmm. Um, so three triples, two doubles, seven RBIs, a uh, couple of walks, and also he is seven for seven on stolen bases. And again, all of those since July 10th. Good Lord. I was going to say, and he's been moved all over. Like, he was playing second, yeah. he's playing center, he was playing shortstop, like, Trey in the outfield, Trey mm-hmm. catching. <laughs> quite. We're not, we're not quite up to Trey Turner bingo yet, <laughs> but maybe soon. Um, yeah, although I have to say I'm not, like, super on board with the transition to center field thing. I mean, I'm I'm not saying I can't get on board. I'm just not quite there yet. I understand the rationale for it, but I don't love it. Um, keep him in the infield. Don't, don't try converting him until we absolutely have to. Right. I think I, I'm more comfortable with that as a once in a while thing while we're still getting unscrambled everywhere else. Because mm-hmm. it's, he's adequate. He has shown that he will do things reasonably well, but there's a difference between adequate and truly having a center fielder that you can depend on, and I think mm-hmm. at this point our defense has been so good on the infield that we don't want to start inventing defensive holes where we don't already have them. Yeah, I mean, yes, is he hitting really, really well? Of course he is, but I don't know that I want to necessarily sacrifice you know, the proven defense of Ben Revere, even if he's not hitting very well. Um, because that's what I've seen posited, like making Trey the center fielder and making Ben Ramirez the fourth outfielder. And I'm like, I don't know if that's going to work in the long run the way you hope it's going to. Not with Jason Wirth. Like, Jason Wirth is, is yeah. at best an apathetic left fielder. Not that any left fielder isn't kind of an apathetic left fielder. But there are some worse than others, yes. And he's not good. So you need someone who actually, like, gets yeah. the ball? Yeah. 
yeah. Well, there's also the Michael Taylor question. Um, I mean, what I've seen a little bit is people saying that he needs to go back down and get some more seasoning in the minors, um, which I don't know. I don't know. They don't pay me for this. I, I, but I just, I'm not sure if, like, Trey Turner is the solution to the Michael Taylor-Ben Revere problem. Um, well, and Michael Taylor's defense has been so good. Yeah, it really has. And I think the theory is if he goes down to the minors, then maybe he'll be able to, you know, string enough going Tyler Moore problem, stringing back, stringing enough ABs together to get his average and his confidence back up, and then he can come back up next season and do well. Um, but that guarantee, but by that point is, does he have a center fielder's role or is Trey Turner going to take a center fielder's job? In which case he's never going to get the at-bats just like he's not getting them now. So, um, anyway, we're kind of, <laughs> we took that down a bad, a bad, sad way. I don't know. Does anyone have like a solution? <laughs> Play Trey at second. Put Daniel Murphy in the lineup. Hope no one notices. Uh, are <laughs> you suggesting? Are you suggesting a DH type situation? No, just cheating. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, wow, Daniel Murphy looks a lot skinnier at second. I know, right? That's weird. <laughs> um, I did like that we that I discovered that in addition to to all his other stats. Uh, which I assume are true on Baseball Reference, he is listed at 185 pounds. <laughs> oh, Trey. Not soaking wet. Not even yeah. soaking wet. And I, yeah, holding Michael Taylor, he's 185 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> like, and a bag of baseballs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. eat your Wheaties, kid. <laughs> <laughs> or eat your spinach or something, I don't know. What what metaphor am I even going for at this point? Chicken. Fried chicken. <laughs> like, eat your fried chicken. <laughs> You want him to go full Wade Boggs? Yes. <laughs> like some. Uh, but yeah, so he's listed as six one and 185 pounds because I guess we can all believe in fiction. Um, <laughs> it's 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 aspirational. That's his goals. That he'll make it once puberty hits. Well, he might be he might be still growing. Yeah. He probably yeah. is, honestly. He, what, is he 22? So, yeah, he's probably still growing a little bit. He's 23. I, I think is he 23? He's yeah. He just turned, though, 23. Oh, I'm sure he just turned 13. I'm not. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe they have, like, um, Jason Worth holding him, or Lucas Giolito holding him upside down every day to, like, hope to stretch him out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Lucas Giolito just bench presses straight turner. <laughs> I can believe it. Uh, oh. Speaking of needing more seasoning, <laughs> I feel bad for Lucas Giolito, but he is too young. Like, he is too young to have gotten called up. Like, yeah. He clearly needs more. I mean, what, he was in what? High A? He, uh, he, he was in Harrisburg, wasn't he? Yeah, he was definitely made it to double A. Double A, but like, up. he is not ready for the majors. No, no. Um, I agree. I, and I don't think we called. I don't think we called him up because we were like, "He's ready, call him up." I think it was just an emergency situation, and hoped he would maybe pull a Joe Ross and, like, "Oh, you're not ready, but holy shit, actually, kind of, you are ready." Um, yeah, I just as long as we don't stick him in the bullpen to give him seasoning, uh, then I'm okay. That I'm okay with his like two aborted starts, and then he goes back down to the minors, and then we bring him up when he's ready. Um, I thought Joe Ross was older than he is he is yeah. 23 he is barely older than trey 
Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't know it from how he handles himself on the mound. I mean, the composure and the and the skill and the you know like like so I was at Lucas Giolito's start and I was just sitting there going like, calm down, buddy. I can I can see your nerves from center field, right? And Joe Ross never ever one time gave that impression. Not not even when he was in like his worst jams of his like very short career and his worst jams were like bases loaded, one out, one time, like. Even when he was in his worst jams, he was still, like, very calm and, like, I got this. I'm going to get this. So um, not everybody can do that. And I think Lucas Giolito just probably needs a little bit more time to, you know, shake it off, you know? Bake it off. Bake it it off. off. There you go. God. (laughs) Maybe that's why he's so tall, all the baked goods. If that were true, I'd be 20 (laughs) feet tall. (laughs) Um, yeah, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe Joe Ross, like, in addition to just that being his temperament, like, having a brother in the majors, I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe that, that does something, or even those two years, like, maybe those make a difference, um, you know, yeah. a lot happens between age 21 and, and age 23, in well, terms came, of maturity. He did come up when he was not 23. Um, he was 22. He, came, he was barely 22. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> he had been 22 for approximately 15 days, so I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, okay, that, that that's an important 15 days. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I take it back. That is a very important 15 days. <laughs> <laughs> a lot happens in those two weeks. Mm-hmm. I, know, I, I just think, yeah, Lucas Giolito probably needed to look at AAA before he came up. Yeah, and I think ho- hopefully they'll have the sense to like put him back down there, and then we'll just ignore this as a blip, and just not do what we've done in the past. <clears throat> well, we don't need another starter until what August eighteenth. Well, yes, that's that's true because because um, Lopez went uh, last night uh, or l- yesterday afternoon, not last night. Um, but I mean, there are obviously concerns about other people. Is Joe Ross going to come back and on schedule? Um, I had to suffer a friend coming into my house and shit talking Gio Gonzalez for like hours, oh, hours God. and hours and hours, and I just had to kind of take it because I was like, at the time he was really not doing well, and for all I know, he is going to backslide. So it is, a, it is a concern. Um, that Geo the Geo's last start was good, but is that hopefully that will continue. But if it doesn't, you know, we could be uh in in some trouble there. So Petrus who aren't having trouble though. <laughs> <laughs> Tanner Roark con- continues to be amazing. Yeah, undersung hero of, of NAS baseball at the moment, as always. He had another great start in his last time out, and there have been various stats flying around about how many of his games he's gone, at least seven innings. He's really been quietly sort of dominant, Mm -hmm. and just in the interest of always wanting to praise Tanner Roark whenever possible. Um, His ERA is at 2.96 right now, Um, and he's at, he's 110, lost six. Um, and he's started 21 games. He also had that one relief appearance in New York that we talked about last time where he was totally perfect, and I was thrilled to see him. Um, 
he's got a FIP of 3.39, WHIP is 1.163. Um, he's got 7.4 strikeouts per nine, which is actually surprising to me because he doesn't tend to be a huge strikeout pitcher, but he's had a few starts where he's gotten a whole number of the minute that are probably skewing that, that upward a little bit. I think his uh, 15K game back in, when was that, May? I think it was probably May. Skewing that, that's probably skewing that significantly. Yeah, his his strikeouts. Um, yeah, for him, it's actually help, more helpful. Like averages are funny. So his strikeout median is like five per game. That sounds uh, about right. Even yeah. Even though I want to say the average is, let me do that right now. I am highlighting as quickly as I can. So uh, the average is five point one. So the medians or the mean is. Uh, 5.1 in the medians 5, so not super different. And obviously pretty consistent there. I yeah. Mean, um, I mean, that, that's no, that's of no surprise he's a ground ball pitcher. I mean, you're not going to get big strikeouts on him. That's why he also gets those high pitch counts frequently. Um, mm-hmm. But whatever, it's effective. You know, it's it's kind of argument against, like, strikeout pitching is the only way to pitch, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's one of the the real limitations of uh, fielding independent pitching as a stat. Like mm-hmm. it tends to overvalue strikeout pitching and undervalue um, get people out pitching. Yeah. Um, and yeah, his WHIP is is as you said really really low. Even though his FIP is like um, higher than his his ERA because he is a ground ball pitcher. And and we'll talk about him later. But Tyler Clippard is the the same way where his FIP tends to make him look worse than he is because he does get a lot of ground ground outs. Oh, well, his, his, his are flyouts, but I... Flyouts, okay. Yeah. He, he makes a lot... He, he is PT, uh, PTC, yeah. not PTK. But we can, we can come back to that. <laughs> yes. Um. In interesting trends, just looking at Tanner's batting average against over the last few seasons... So not surprisingly, 2015, it was quite a bit higher than any other season. But his batting average against right now is almost exactly what it was in 2014. In 2014, it was 239, and right now it's 236. That's awesome. So people talking about how we're really getting 2014 Tanner Rourke back in a whole bunch of ways, that's pretty true. The numbers hold it up. Yeah, they really do. Well, good. But yeah, no, that's, that's a good sign, certainly, given how good his 2014 was. Um, that things are seemingly really mirroring that statistically. Not that he was bad last year, but that he was just never really locked in. Yeah, he was just wildly inconsistent. Well, yeah, exactly. He was wildly inconsistently. So. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not exactly. It's it's not a mystery. Like last year, he had four wins because he wasn't a starter. Like yeah. yeah. You know, and Windsor, I know, a terrible stat, but at the same time, like. Yeah, he, he's looking to have, as you said, a, a 2014 kind of season. Um, interestingly, in 2014, he only pitched, or only, but he only pitched like 198 innings, and this year he's up to 136 already. No, again, uh, well, he, actually, wait, no, you're comparing that to 2014. Yeah. Huh, I guess he's just getting getting deeper. I mean, he has been one of the ones that's been consistently managing to get deeper into games, so. Um, yeah. Maybe this could be a little bit of eye test bias. Um, I'm looking at his his um, average inning pick pitched is uh, 6.15. Okay, so, so that's not actually that. Maybe I'm just probably comparing it to um, other members of the rotation who have been having some trouble 
getting past five, especially lately. Um, Let me take out the one he pitched in uh, the Mets because that was actually skewing it down a little bit. <laughs> and once I removed that, I was like, wait, 2.1. Um, it was actually, yeah, he's going about 6.5. Once you control for the, the relief appearance against the Mets and then his mm -hmm. first appearance, he only went four. Everything else is is pretty good. So yeah, he's okay. about 6.5. Okay. It's it's not max late, but it's pretty good. Yeah, and anybody who's consistently getting us through the bulk of the sixth is uh, right now um, feels very good. Uh, just I mean, I, again, this is recency bias, I guess you want to say, but um, it's felt like we haven't had our starters going deep since since the All-Star break. So even though some of them obviously have. Um, yeah, yeah I definitely, given the state of our bullpen recently, it's been yeah. good to get some some starters going later, and hopefully with our bullpen changes, we'll stop having to worry quite so much about that. Or we can apparently take Mark DeRosa's advice and trade for Chris Steele, or Chris, Chris Steele, Chris Sale. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about Chris Sale being, as you put it, a whiny and old man baby. <laughs> I, I, I just had to, I know this is old news, I just found the story, like, so hilarious. The cutting up of the throwback jerseys um, in a fit of pique um, over, apparently the collars were the thing that pissed him off the most about the throwback <laughs> jerseys. I guess the collars are very uncomfortable, or so he claims. And, and also didn't cut them up with this pair of scissors, as one would expect, you know, stolen from, like, the trainer's room or something. Somehow had a knife. Maybe Adam LaRoche like stocked the, the clubhouse before he left with his hunting knives or something. But he took a knife to the jerseys to cut them up. That's like some serial killer nonsense. I'm sorry. Also, that's a tough way to cut fabric. Like, just from a practical perspective. Hack and slash. <laughs> Why wouldn't he just cut the neck out of the jersey? Maybe that's what he was doing. And then um, he screwed it up and decided to just slash all of them instead. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe he was like, I'm just going to, like, really quick just fix this. Oh, crap. <laughs> no, um, I, I, I don't know what, the, I don't know whether they were, like, cut to ribbons or whether he just made, like, strategic stabs in the right places so the jersey's going to be worn. But I just, I mean, this was both hilarious, but also, like, just, I don't know how entitled you have to be to do that. I mean, not only are you screwing your team over, you're kind of screwing your entire support staff. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just kind of a dick move. And I don't care how uncomfortable when the team says you're going to wear what you're going to wear. You, you wear it. a lot of money to wear that uniform. Yeah. My sister once had to wear a polyester uniform on a tour bus. Like, she was working on oh. the tour bus in D un air conditioned in D.C. in August. Oh, yeah. He can live. Yeah. And I'll tell you, she was not making millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Like... There are many people who have to wear more uncomfortable uniforms. For a lot less money. For and a some, lot less money. And somehow resist the urge to slice them up with a knife. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I just, I mean, this is like more stuff about, uh, uh, about Chris Dale and like how desperately unhappy he is in Chicago. Like I understand that there's an undercurrent to this entire story that's been brewing since spring training, but having the culmination point be slicing up the jerseys like Freddy Krueger. <laughs> like, um, I don't know. I mean, there's not really much to say. It's just 
is just hilarious and so entitled. <laughs> yeah, and he got he got suspended effectively for the start he got scratched for. Like that's it. I thought didn't the suspension not start until after the scratch? So he doesn't he miss a second game? Oh, I thought he didn't. I thought he got a five game suspension, but it included that start. Oh, I mean, we can check. I didn't. I didn't look. Every time I tried to look into the details of the actual suspension, all I got was yet another story talking about what the hell, Chris Sale, <laughs> what are you doing? Um, yeah, and you would think that the, that if he's that desperately unhappy and he's very good at pitching, they could trade him for I don't know a couple of things that other teams would be willing to part with. Well, they still have time a little bit. Yeah, I'm guessing probably some other team. I don't know what other teams are like. Oh, sure, you seem like a crazy person, but you pitch real well. Come on. Uh, I mean, we traded think... for Papelbon. Yeah, yeah, we traded for Papelbon. And I have to say, honestly, if I had to choose, I'd take like crazy Jersey Rampage over like the DC Strangler. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think most people would probably like do that. It's just, and especially, I mean, if I, if all of this behavioral stuff is related to how unhappy he is in Chicago. Like, maybe somebody will assume, well, if we just take him out of Chicago, maybe he'll behave like a normal person. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just find out where he wants to go and be like, all right, what can you give us? All your prospects? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that's kind of the, what everyone is assuming is going to happen, and that'll probably be the one that's at, like, 11.59 tonight. But um, we are perhaps getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, or do we want to just talk about the trade stuff now? We can do trade stuff. Well, so the biggest the biggest thing, the Nats have a new closer. Who does not appear to be a bona fide crazy person. We so have a closer who has not, so far as we know, caused bodily harm on purpose to anyone in the past year. Woo! <laughs> or talk smack on Bryce Harper in Spanish, thinking that no one could perhaps break Trans his impenetrable code of speaking in Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't hate Soriano, but at the same time, like, dude, people speak Spanish. It's not this, that... is, this is America, hablamos español. <laughs> yeah, like, you talk smack on Bryce Harper, someone might run it through the Google Translate. Yeah. Like, or possibly just be standing there, because I think it was to a Spanish-language broadcast. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we can hear you I mean, when you speak. Shouldn't be a big thing. Anyway, so, like, hasn't strangled anyone, hasn't talked smack on Bryce Harper in a language clearly unfamiliar to most Americans. Like, <laughs> Yep. So welcome, Mark Melanson, to the Nationals. Hopefully we don't get our bad closer juju all over you. <laughs> Did you guys see somebody posted on Twitter comparing the Nats closer position to the Hogwarts defense against the Dark Arts position? I haven't, I haven't seen it, but I've definitely thought it. Um, I would humbly like to submit Drew Storin as Professor Lupin. Oh, my favorite um, headline from Deadspin <laughs> last year was the Nats are kind of boning Drew Storin. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate and and well phrased. Yeah. Well, he was doing so well, and they're like, oh, let's get an aging crazy person to come and close mm -hmm. because the closer is the closer. Yeah. So to get back to Mark Melanson for a second, first of all, his kids are adorable, and he makes tons of dad jokes about them on Twitter. Okay. Here were some pictures of him and his kids in first class on an airplane, I think from the All-Star break, and he posted a picture of his baby daughter 
drinking milk out of a bottle as a baby does with the caption, bottle service in first class. <laughs> oh. There was a picture of his son with a slice of cheese, and he had captioned it, no whining with that cheese. Okay, so he's definitely a dad. He's, he's, he's a dad. definitely <laughs> a dad, but in the cutest possible way. And statistically, his he has like the lowest ERA in the majors for the last three years. Oh, yeah. crazy like that. I saw f- past four years, 1.8 ERA and sub one whip, and that's cons- over four years. So his ERA um, for this season is 1.51. What some people on Twitter have been pointing out as sort of an argument against that is that his FIP is a little higher up at 2.66. But First as we... All, we just talked about how that's not a great stat if you're not a big mm-hmm. strikeout pitcher. The other thing that I think bears mentioning in terms of the Nats is that the whole premise of FIP, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that it's based on what an average defensive team would do. And no, not to talk us up, but our defense is not average. Well, it's just based on home runs, walks, hit by pitches, and strikeouts. So it's absent any fielding behind you. So you could have, you know, Trey Turner at second. You could have Daniel Murphy at second. It wouldn't matter um, because the way it's calculated is just based on actions that are specific to um, pitchers that have nothing to do with fielding. Um, So with a good defensive team, as you said, behind him, like, FIP won't really matter as much. But it won't change either. Yeah, yeah. it won't change. Um, but there are plenty of people who are who have higher FIP but are good pitchers because, um, you know, one of the changes of being in the majors is you can trust the team behind you defensively. Mm-hmm. Like, versus um, you might want to look at FIP more in looking at minor league players because minor league defense is, I think, optional. <laughs> or it's it irregular, shall we say, to put it nicely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I mean, so I, I'm not. I'm less. I'm less concerned about that. Well, um, for what it's worth, Papelbon's FIP is up in the threes, which I'm sure doesn't surprise anybody. No. No. Yeah. Um, mostly because obviously his fastball is like decelerating rapidly. Yeah. Uh, and quite frankly, he ain't tricky enough to be that tricky. Mm. No, like he is aging before our eyes is what's happening. So this should be good, and now he gets a little taste of his own medicine, even though I know it wasn't technically his fault what happened before, what happened last season, but <laughs> I can still blame him as much as I want to. <laughs> it is his fault for demanding a contract where he has to have a closer's role. Did, didn't that clause get tossed? I don't even remember. But but even so, regardless if he had had that clause or not, they were gonna make him the closer. Um, so, but I'm still gonna blame him. Oh, I'm gonna blame <laughs> him too. But this is not like when I didn't blame Soriano because it wasn't Soriano's fault. I'm gonna just blame Papelbon for everything. I'll blame him for global warming. I'll blame him for the fact that it's a million degrees in this stupid swamp town right now. Um, I don't know. What else can we blame Jonathan Papelbon for? Well, you can say he got to D.C. and, dare I say, choked. (laughs) How long have you been waiting on that one? Like a year. (laughs) (laughs) Like like a solid year. Um, They might keep him on. I don't know. Are they going to, what are they going to do with him? We can't get rid of him. We couldn't, we couldn't sell him for a cup of coffee. Like, so they're making him, they're making him the setup man. 
Isn't there anyone who's doing badly enough to want him? No. No. Because not if they're even... doing badly, they're not going to they're not buyers. Mm. If, they're, if they're doing really really badly, either they're look they're they're looking for prospects. They're looking to go into a rebuild mode, either hard rebuild mode or like minor rebuild mode like rebuild for next year. But you don't want him for either thing. You know, you're seller if you're really really bad and if you're really really good, he's a bucket of crap. <laughs> like so, um, yeah, no, we can't, we're just stuck with him. We're just going to have to s suck it up, and he's going into the setup man role. Or possibly the BSDL for a couple weeks here and there. Yeah. yeah. I, do you mean Barry Zito Island? Yeah, he's going to Barry Zito <laughs> Island. <laughs> but, like, they wouldn't, you know, and his relationship with everyone in the clubhouse aside, he probably would make sense as some kind of pitching coach. Oh, I have no doubt that yeah. that's something that he could do later on in his life. Um, but it doesn't help us now, you know, no. but yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I'm sure he would actually, cause I mean, that's the one thing everybody has been very consistent about is that he knows what, he knows what he's doing. He may not be able to do it anymore, but mm -hmm. he knows what he's doing and he's very good at sharing that information with other people. Yeah. Uh, so maybe, maybe that's where he'll be. He'll mature a little bit, go take an anger management class or two and like actually make some good in the world by being a pitching coach. Well, I mean, even now, like, if they put him on the BSDL or, you know, Barry mm -hmm. Zito Island him with back spasms or arm tightness or mm -hmm. shit headery, um, <laughs> is that not a condition? Uh, but, like, if they, I don't know, they they have a couple of fairly young guys in the bullpen, like, I don't know, make him feel good about himself and useful and have him you know, basically be like, oh, so let's talk about pitch selection or let's talk about, you know, high leverage situations or yeah. whatever. Well, wasn't um, he the one teaching Joe Ross how to throw a cutter or whatever it was? I think he was. That so sounds clearly, probably familiar. Clearly he's already into this. Yeah. So it's just a question of channeling it a little bit, maybe. Mm -hmm. and, and I can't imagine, like, and this is not to side with him for not being a complete jerk face he's clearly a complete jerk face but like he probably would feel better about himself if he had something productive to do mm -hmm. um and if he's being sort of high high profile replaced yeah but i i i just i think i'm sure he would feel better about himself having something to do but i think he's still at the point in his ego life that he yeah. needs everyone to know that that's what he's doing and being like, I've been put on Barry's Zito Island, but I'm going to coach those kids for no credit doesn't really sound like the type of thing that um, would help him be an asset to the organization. But, I, I mean, we're going to have to see how it plays out since we didn't do, you know, what I wanted to do and regain our setup man. Um, so we kind of have to deal with this, that Jonathan Pavelbon is the setup man and Mark Melanson will be hopefully our wildly successful new closer. <sighs> So why don't we why don't we just go ahead and talk about Tyler Clifford? <laughs> Cry about Tyler Clifford? Yes. yes. I, I like that he's still our setup man. <laughs> he's like still four teams later. He's still our setup man. In my heart, he never stopped being a national. My In the God, show notes. four teams. His his Google picture is still him in a Nats cap. Good. And it should never change. <laughs> Um, and in fact, in show notes, I believe I noted that he w was traded from Arizona to your heart. So well, that would be that would assume he left my heart in the first place. He just moved to like a different ventricle. 
You only got the two. <laughs> okay, so he's just, he's just bouncing back. Well, he went from the NL to the AL, so there you go. Yes, yes. He moved to your American League ventricle, which is the smaller ventricle. So it's the right one. Uh... <laughs> oh, my God. No, I, I mean, I knew we weren't. I knew we weren't going to get him back in the first place, and especially once the Melanson trade went down, I knew that we weren't. We were definitely not going to go after him. So I guess if he has to have a homecoming, at least it's to the team that drafted him, even if I hate them. Um, so, and as, as Laura put it, I think earlier today, uh, New York's better than Arizona. Yeah, in in the scheme of so, places that I would like people I like to live. Yeah. Meanwhile, I would prefer New York over Arizona. I don't know how Seth feels about it, but that's, you know. Uh, he will never say what he feels about it, I'm sure. I mean, and remember, this is a kid from Florida, so maybe his geographic priorities are not in line. Who With knows? Mine. With anybody's, because he's from Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think if there's a decent golf course nearby, he doesn't care. That's probably accurate. Where oh, but all the golf courses in New York are owned by Trump. Oh. Oh. You know what? I'm going to stop that because I can't I can't let myself know what his opinion is on that. So. <laughs> um But yeah, so we didn't get him back and some crying was done, although um not as much as last year. Last year was a two times face down on the floor kind of crying. So, this year was just kind of a <sighs> kind of crying. That was the, my level of crying in the corner. Um, He's in a better place now? I guess. I mean... Literally any place is better than Phoenix, so... Yeah, no, that, I mean, this is completely true, and he, at least he's out of those god-awful uniforms. Those, the, their new one is just, like, the most ugly thing I've, I can imagine. Worse than the sleeveless Rockies jerseys, and I never oh. thought I would say that about anything. Nothing. Nothing <laughs> no, the, the, their home great... Their home gray jerseys are worse than Digicamo and the sleeveless Rockies jerseys and the Mother's Day jerseys and the Fourth of July jerseys that looked like they had measles. <laughs> what about the 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 day they wore baby blue high socks? Oh, that's a tough one, actually. <laughs> baby blue high socks versus those gray. I don't even know how to describe them. They just look so awful. Honestly, the destroyed throwback White Sox jerseys were less ugly <laughs> than my... pretty bad. They are pretty cool. bad. They're designed to be worn untucked, which is just strange. What? Yeah, they were designed <laughs> to be worn untucked and with shorts. Not short pants, shorts. Um, what? <laughs> the 70s were a very weird time. People had different opinions on things. I don't, I don't know. I can't... I, I, I can't explain it. I'm not going to try. But honestly, they were less bad. <laughs> Oh I really gosh. hate the jerseys. Yeah, they clearly. look like they look like they got dingy in the wash. The Arizona ones. Yeah, and they have that like speckled black gradient on the shoulders, mm -hmm. and then their red doesn't go with them. I don't know. I could talk about this for a really long time because apparently I have strong opinions on jersey design. They're ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's in the pinstripes, which while I might yeah. hate the team, is a very elegant and classic look. It makes yeah. his ass look big. <laughs> his ass doesn't need any help. Yeah, I was gonna say his ass makes his ass look big. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I I assume vertical stripes will be slimming. No. 
No. No, I don't think so. I've seen some big asses in pinstripes. It 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 sort of magnifies the effect, contrary yeah, to what you'd expect. I guess like parallel lines becoming un what you expect to be <laughs> parallel, and then they become unparallel, and you're like, huh. <laughs> That's not Euclidean. <laughs> no, I think it's probably better that he's back in New York. Yeah. Um, if he has to go home somewhere uh, to the team that drafted him, like I, I can understand it. I can like put my personal feelings aside. I am super bummed though that since he is in the AL, we are now not going to see him unless he gets traded next year. Um, well, how much have like, we seen him anyway? How much will we gonna see him? Yeah. I have tickets to all three games against the Diamondbacks at the end of August. <laughs> but I was gonna go to all. Th I mean, I didn't buy them for this express purpose. Okay. But I was sure as shit gonna go to all three, just on clip watch. I'm well, sorry. Uh, why don't we see when the Yankees are playing the Orioles? That's not a bad idea. They play them all the damn time. Yeah, like they they play each other all the time. Um, and hopefully we're gonna see the return of the Yankee Clippered headline again. Um, we probably what, will. <laughs> what every rookie kid needs to be reminded compared to is definitely DiMaggio. Like, <laughs> like really? I get that it's a good pun, but really? <laughs> Never underestimate the power of the pun. <laughs> at least it was. At least it was different positions. So like, it's not a direct comparison. I don't know. Um. Well, I've still never been to Yankee Stadium, so now I have a reason to change that. Yeah. Heard that if the new one's not so nice, but... I never I mean, went to the old one, so... Yeah. He, he's got, I mean, assuming he stays put, he's got the end of this year and then all of next year. So, and I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that they got him since they shipped away their entire, pretty much their entire back end of the bullpen yeah. um, for prospects, so... And he's gonna hold the fort down by himself. Well, not by himself, because... Uh, Batances is still there, so. Um, but, of course, out of his division, uh, Drew is no longer a Blue Jay. Drew is now on the opposite side of the country again. Um, so that reunion won't happen, sadly. Um, Drew is a Mariner now. Which he's apparently completely dorked out about because he, like all right-thinking people, was a Ken Griffey Jr. fan. Well... Yeah, okay, like, uh, yeah, that's that's valid, but he does know he's not on the team anymore, right? <laughs> uh, apparently he gets to go to, like, his number retirement and his Hall of Fame induction. Oh, okay, yeah, I would actually totally nerd out about that. I'd be like, screw baseball, or screw, like, my career in baseball. I want to go to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he apparently, I was reading something, he, he told ESPN that he was, uh, that he was, or he told, well, somebody, that he was totally, totally geeked out about uh, being on the same team that Ken Griffey Jr. was on. Now, maybe that was, like, just trying to put a good face on getting DFA'd, um, but at the same time, you know. That sounds genuine. I, yeah. Like, there are better, there, the way you put a good face on this, I'm just really happy to be part of this organization, and, you know, the clenched, the clenched teeth it's just so great to be here, and I'm looking forward to to proving myself to all you fans in Seattle. And then there's, oh my god, this was Ken Griffey Jr.'s team. Yeah. One feels yeah. a little bit more genuine. Um, and, and Drew tends to be a fairly honest interview, like, aside from the, I'm just excited for the opportunity, and they have a great fan base out here in Seattle. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, he tends to be a pretty good, pretty honest interview. 
if he has something he wants to say, and he clearly what he wanted to say was, oh my god, Ken Griffey Jr. wants to look at a testicle here. Like, oh my god. <laughs> that's the thing that happened, though. <laughs> Who did they trade him for? Because <laughs> I looked at that trade, and I didn't quite see that either team was really getting anything Nobody out of it. Nobody really... They got, like, two people, one of whom was a prospect, and I, I'm sorry, I don't recall their names off the top of my head. Here. Um, but it wasn't anybody that I think anybody would recognize. I think it was, again, other relievers, and they're relievers from across the country on the AL. I don't think any of us know who they are. Um, um, it's Benoit or ben- Benoit. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't actually know how to print, because he's a, he's a reliever in the AL West, so... Um, yeah, I... Uh, Joaquin uh, Benoit. I've heard. Benoit. Yeah, no, he's that. He's not nobody, actually. Yeah. Um, and it was just like a straight one for one player swap, wasn't it? I yeah. Think there was anybody else? No, no. Um, the Toronto got one other person from the Mariners, but did I don't they? remember who it was. Yeah, they did. I, think it, I thought it was cash considerations. Maybe it was cash considerations. There was one other thing that they got, and I was like, that's a pretty good deal for a player that you DFA'd. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I don't know what cash what considerations ERA is this year, but... <laughs> fair, fair enough. I, yeah, you just name, name your child cash considerations, get them into uh, Major League Baseball. They could be drafted in the 42nd round. Like, <laughs> I was looking at dra- draft earlier. Anyone, uh, the average American is drafted in the 42nd round. Like, I saw your name. It was weird. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, they would probably get higher status just for that name. Yeah. You know, even at, yeah. They would probably go in the 49th round, so. Well, speaking of names that I may or may not recognize prior to now, but am <laughs> certainly never going to forget now, Justin, how is your friend Zach Duke doing? I don't understand why this became a thing. <laughs> I was just looking through trade stuff, and I saw that Zach Duke, who was having an okay year for the White Sox, got traded to the Filthy, filthy Cardinals. And so we can hate him, but like the way that he feels about Tyler Clippard or you feel about Max Scherzer or like any of us feel about Poppelbon, like those are very strong emotions, right? <laughs> yeah. That yeah. is the opposite of that. I'm like, oh, he exists on the planet. Cool. And yet and some... brought him up on almost all of our podcasts so far. <laughs> Yeah, I secretly have a shrine to Zach Duke in my house. <laughs> it's, it's weird, let me tell you. <laughs> I'm just impressed. It has, it has nothing on it. <laughs> I mean, it's just like of all former nationals. Like, there had to be somebody. But maybe he's the only one that's really still active. Um, but, I mean, I'm enjoying our recurring Zach Duke watch. Like, where is he now? <laughs> it's Zach Duke. But, um... Well, maybe I guess now he's to hate him. I I still don't think I'm gonna rise above. Oh, he's a person that exists. But maybe, maybe. I mean, my ability to hate a team because you guys know how terrible I am at rivalries. My ability to hate a team depends generally on knowing as little about them as individual people as possible. So I don't think I'm gonna hate Zach Duke for being a Cardinal. I think I'm just gonna continue to not think about Zach Duke really ever, <laughs> which is what I try to do with most of the Cardinals, because the sad thing is, as soon as I find something out about a player on a team, I stop being able to effectively dislike that team, and I don't want anything to come between me and disliking the Cardinals. 
You'll you'll be able to dissociate eventually. Because, like, I can still like Yadier Molina a lot, even though I don't like the Cardinals at all. Um, but that's, I think, actually, that's about the only one where I'm able to kind of, like, make that division. So. I mean, if we decided to, I don't know, somehow add a sixth starter and we recruited Michael Waka, though I don't know how his season was this year, but last year was pretty good. Like, I wouldn't hate him the same way that I don't hate Craig Kimbrell now that he's washed Braves smell off of him. Yes, but I think washing the Braves smell off of him was kind of key to that. Yeah, yeah. I, I was in my secret. I love Craig Kimbrell when he was a Brave. Face. I knew I knew about your secret love for Craig yeah. Kimbrell. It, it was my shame cave. It was, a very, like, it was a very loud secret. Oh, I don't want Michael Waka. I just looked up his numbers for this year. Last yeah, year. Yeah. I didn't think he was doing so great. I mean, the cards in general are not doing so great. I got to watch them get their behinds uh, spanked by the the fish. And I was like, the fish are uh, nipping at our heels, so I shouldn't be happy that they're 11-0 to zero on the cards. However, they're a team that is 11-0 to zero on the cards, so bully. Look, if any if any team has to nip at our heels, I'm happy that it is the Marlins. Yeah, like, that's true, but like, I was just like... If they could knock the Cardinals out of a wild card spot, that nothing would make me happier. Yeah, it was very satisfying. Even if Ichiro did not make his three thousand three thousandth yet, but he'll get there. Um, I don't know any other. I mean, we've covered kind of like all of our Nationals-related trades, but there've been a couple other. Uh, Weren't we talking about trading for Wade Davis for a while there, and now he like just went on the DL? Yeah, we were interested, and I don't know whether our interest was pulled because uh, he was injured, which now has led to him being on the DL, or whether our interest was pulled because he was just too expensive. I mean, we – I don't think we paid an unreasonable amount for Melanson, but it is a rental for him, and we we traded away Rivero, so and, a, and another prospect that I don't know anything about. But, I mean, that, that was not a cheap trade for us. Um, and for all we know, Wade Davis was going to be asking for Lucas Giolito or, um, I don't know, Joe, I, I know Joe Ross's name came up in a couple of discussions of who could we trade for X reliever. So, um, I, yeah, I'm not sure why we pulled out of that one. I am glad that the response to that was just no. Just like, oh, you want Joe or... Ross? Oh, Joe no. Ross. no. No. Yeah, like, no. Like, oh. we, we found him first. Yes, he's ours now. <laughs> Come and get him. <laughs> no, don't, don't. No, we dare you. <laughs> I did Have say, you if anybody's gonna trade Lucas Giolito for anybody, when we're weighing the return, I require someone with at least as good of a stance on baking and gender roles. Well, we that's need... an exhaust. We're gonna have to do an exhaustive survey on that one because I haven't heard a rumor about anybody else. Not to say that they don't, but. That's that's going to take some research. I mean, it would be pretty hard to replace someone who tweeted, there's no gender roles in this apartment, bro. Like, that's that's a pretty high bar. Mm. So what I'm saying is, everybody has their reasons for not trading Lucas Giolito, which I agree with. That's another one of mine. He just okay. needs to bake a little while longer. <laughs> I made that joke already. Oh. <laughs> Whatever. We're Everyone under 25 it, at this point looks to me like an unformed lump of bread dough. It's fine. What does that make me? An you're, you're our our gently rising. Um. <laughs> Honestly, it's mostly men under about that age. Like, there's something about jaw width that doesn't like finish till about your mid twenties, and so well, like. 
it's second puberty. You gotta wait for the second yeah. puberty thing. Or first puberty in like Trey's case. Um, yeah. I'm uh, sure he could shave. Like I'm sure someone's taught him. I think he can shave like the two patches of 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 facial hair on his like chin and then the one that's like right under his I mean he does not have much going on in that department. No. I'm sure he has shaved. I just think he probably only needs to do about needs to do it about once a month. Um what, Trey? He's trying to grow a beard. Have you guys seen that? He's trying. Yes, he is trying. Uh, and, like, he's clearly in the, the do-not-do of the doer-do-not-do. There is no try. Like, <laughs> He'd have better luck if someone if someone in the clubhouse just grabbed a marker and just <laughs> drew it on him while he was sleeping. And it would probably last a little bit longer, too. Um, yeah, rub some like, dirt on his face. He'll be fine. Yeah. Well, speaking of prospects, then, do we want to go into our stat of the week? Sure. Yeah. So, we were talking about draft picks last time, um, and I went and looked through uh, the Nationals' draft picks for the past oh, years and years and years and years, because they're all available. Um, so, in terms of overall first overall picks, and this is not Nationals, this is everybody, there are actually only two in history who have not made the majors. Uh, again, I'm Brian Taylor, who was drafted in 1991, I believe, by the Yankees. Um, and then a guy named Steve Shilcott, who was drafted in 1966 by the Mets. So I think, because correlation is causation... Um, that means that only people drafted by New York teams will not make the majors. <laughs> it also means I got to eat a little. I got to eat a little bit of crow because I was the one who said that last time around, and I was wrong, and I can admit that. Um, so I don't know what I was thinking of in that case, but I will. I will accept my plate of crow. Now it is a little bit harder to look at um, uh, like cohort analysis of first round picks overall, so what the likelihood of first round picks playing, say, X number of games in the majors is. And then the other thing that you kind of run into, and this is a particular problem with the Nationals being, you know, only in existence since 2005, like, baseball prospects just take a lot more time to develop. So, you know, you're looking at this point of payoff from guys that were drafting in, like, 2009, 2010, um, a few in 2011, 2012, but, like, it's okay that the people that we have drafted for the past three years aren't anywhere near the majors. Right. Like, that's okay. That's normal. Um, versus, you know, other sports that is, would be considered failure here. It's like, well, you have to do a lot more long-term projecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing I took a look at was... Uh, how good or not good are the Nationals at drafting in, like, later rounds? Um, And so I looked at, basically, the Nationals' picks for every round. Um, And and I was mostly looking since, like, I don't know, 1998, 2000-ish, though, you know, all the Nats and Expos picks forever are listed, um, to look at, like, who did we get in really the late late rounds. and uh, interestingly, so Craig Stammen, I didn't know this was a 12th round pick. I'm not terribly surprised about that. And I'm not also terribly surprised that he made it all the way, even being a 12th round pick, um, considering he seemed like he was a workhorse. Um, is he, but you, is he the lowest? Um, no, well, <laughs> so I then looked at sort of, uh, so Craig Stammen was probably the one who 
would have the most name recognition with na with Nationals fans. Um, a guy named Lewis Coleman, who's a 14th round pick, is now with the Dodgers, and he seems you know like a major league baseball player. Tyler Moore, we drafted three times. <laughs> Someone really wanted Tyler Moore. Like he was a 41st round pick in 2005, a 33rd round pick in 2006, and a 16th round pick in 2008. So he should have hold, held on for 2009, which, if my calculation's correct, he would have been a first round pick. <laughs> oh, poor, poor Tyler. Yeah, Moore. Um, but how old was he when we drafted him for the third time? Oh, he came up. Uh, he came up when he was 25, and that was in 2012. So, backtracking that. Um, so, he was born in early 87, so in 2008 he would have been... 21. 21. Yeah. He's actually yeah. older than I thought he was. It's because yeah. he's, got, he's got that baby face. It's not quite as extreme as, you know, baby Trey or... Uh, little Michael A, but he's got he's got a baby, a little bit of a baby face, um, which definitely makes him look a lot younger than he is. Yeah, I would have figured he was only about twenty five now, but clearly that's about yeah. five years off. Nah, he's knocking on thirty. So. Yeah, which doesn't mean that low. Not not as great a chance of making it uh, as a full. I mean, he obviously had his majors time, but not necessarily a professional ball player right now um so he um i mean there were a bunch of guys that we drafted who then declined who then were drafted much higher later mm -hmm. so i didn't really count them so like marcus stroman was the was one of the ones where i was like wow we drafted marcus stroman wait nah the you know in the 18th round in 2009 but clearly he was not doing that because he was he signed with the jays out of the first in 2012 so like there's a bunch of guys like that where I didn't count them uh, Columbia Maryland native Steve Lombardo he was drafted in the 19th round which feels right so that was that was pretty good and then um, one of the names that I recognize from all this is Jason Bay who was an Expos uh, 22nd round draft pick um, and he, he played for the I saw him play for the Pirates back when he was like the name to announce on the Pirates so that should tell you how long ago it was um, <laughs> Billy Burns, uh, I was a little bit surprised to see, was drafted in the 33rd round in 20 in uh, 2011, um, hmm. and we traded him to the A's for Jerry Blevins. Um, he's having really good years with the A's. So like last year was good, this year's good. He's hitting above 300 both years. So seems like maybe we messed that one up. Um, well, you never, you can never get them all. Um. Interestingly, Bob Henley, the third base coach, was drafted in the 26th round by the Expos in 1991. So he has been with the organization a long time. I didn't yeah. know that. That's sweet. Yeah. So I, I saw that. I was like, wait, is it the same one? His draft picture is really funny, too. <laughs> oh, well, you'll definitely have to link that one for us. <laughs> it's, it, it's pretty funny. Um, and then the, the record holder for the latest round... Uh, Nats draft pick, who was signed by the Nats, meaning didn't do a Marcus Stroman and, you know, turn him down and sign later, um, and has played in Major League Baseball, is Brad Peacock. I actually remember that name. He was traded for Geo. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that was one of that, one of that deal. So is he still with Oakland? No, he got traded. He's, um, he was in the, he's 
played for the Astros for a couple of years. I don't think he's currently with them, and I can't. Let me let me take a look. Um, it was somewhat unclear what he is currently doing. Um, if he is, because uh, he he played for Oakland for two years. Um, he was in the. Or, or he played for the Astros for a couple of years. He actually never played for Oakland. He was immediately flipped. Um, and he is currently, yeah, in AAA. Um, I, you know, in, in Fresno. Okay. Uh, as part of the Fresno Grizzlies, uh, which are a Houston team. So I guess not, not totally um, supporting low. I guess, I guess it, shockingly, the higher you're drafted, the better you are and the more likely you are to play Major League Baseball. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like the major league draft is just, I mean, it's insane. Like there's billions of rounds. Like I said, I think we're, we've all been drafted. Yeah. Like, yeah. Isn't, wasn't there an onion headline about that? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think we talked about it already once. Um, but yeah, no, I, we've all been drafted somewhere. It's, it's impressive that he even saw, got a look at the majors considering he was drafted in the, in the first 41st. Yeah. But some guys drafted low, you know, work their asses off to to get to get there and sometimes the working is better than the natural ability, mm-hmm. especially if they're signing, you know, at out of high school and that low, which I think is more typically what you would see. Do, do you find that that the lower they actually signed, the more likely they were to be coming out of high school versus college? You know, I didn't take a look at that. That would be my assumption um, because a lot of them, if they weren't gonna, well, maybe not because a lot of them, if they're signing out of high school versus college, like get drafted, get drafted really low, and then decide to go to college. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, um, and you know, versus I'm gonna sign right out of high school but sign lower. Um, well, I w- well, I was thinking about you know, so Tyler Moore. I assume when the first time we drafted him, we were drafting him out of high school, and he said no. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we tried to draft him again later when he was in college. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's smart for a lot of them to kind of do a wait and see in terms of their personal stock. Um, like, yeah. didn't I want to say Drew got drafted? Yeah, by the Yankees mm-hmm. in a really really low round, and then was like, I'm gonna go to Stanford. Cause, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what happened. Um, yeah, and so I think. A lot of guys are, are kind of weighing their options at that point. Um, so I found, you know, a good number of folks where I was like, wow, we drafted them. No, we didn't. Like, we yeah. tried to draft them, and then they were like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. go to college. And then, my, you know, their stock would go from, you know, 30th round to, to second. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, is like, why does nobody care about the damn draft? Is because half of these people are being drafted and not bothering to sign. Um, mm-hmm because they go off and do something else and then may never reapply for the draft. Unlike other sports where that's the goal, you get drafted and you're, you're good. Um, you're set. So. Well, and, and also though, because free agency and the rules about international free agency and baseball are just so different. So like you can get signed at 16. Yep. Um, as an internet, which I think should be criminal. Like, yeah, I, I have a lot of feelings about Wilmer Flores. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he's having a heck of a season. Well, good. He deserves it. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm sure some of our guys. I mean, we've got a whole, whole international system like that too, and 
I don't know, how, do we know when Wilson Ramos was signed? Was he signed very young, I would imagine, probably? Um, yeah, because I always think he's older than he is. Well, he he's not young. He's 28, I think. He just looks older because he's so big. Um, he was but, signed in 2004 by the Twins. Okay, so that would put him at about 16. So, and I would, you know, I'd imagine most of our international, uh, our international players probably same situation. Fun um, fact: He and uh, Wilmer Flores are from the same place in Venezuela. That's not yeah. terribly surprising, but I'm kidding. Cool. Um, Wilson was 17. 17. Okay. Well, I was just, you know, math on the fly. No yeah. birthdays. But yeah, no, I, again, very, very young. Um, yeah, Jose Lobaton, I think, was similar. Um, uh, also from Venezuela. I mean, that's where they send their international recruiters to, to countries like Venezuela and Dominican Republic and sign them up when they're babies. So, Lobaton was 19. Okay. 19? Oh, that's actually kind of surprising. He yeah. He was that old. But didn't the um what was it those two the two brothers it was the Solanos they were from Colombia yep. but they like smuggled themselves into Venezuela something like that no I think they just came from they were just signed in Colombia oh really I think I think there was something about an onion truck that was just because he um wasn't getting Jonathan Solano's nickname was the Onion because yeah. he was desperately trying to get signed, and I'm not sure how old he was at the time, but was no because he was kind of small, and they just didn't think he was like great. They kept he would show up to tryouts, and they were like, no. And so he just kept showing up, to, showing up to tryouts, showing up to tryouts. And he would come from his previous job, which was driving a vegetable delivery truck. So that's where that came from. Um, but yeah, he was just kept showing up to tryouts until finally they were like, okay, actually this kid's got something, let's sign him. As far as I know, there was no smuggling involved for either of the Solano brothers. Um, but given the amount of smuggling that's happened to other baseball players, maybe maybe it has happened and I'm just not aware of it. Yeah, I, I want to do something because I swear I swear that that was there was something about that. Yeah, but that's not where the the onion truck, the vegetable truck thing comes from. Now Jonathan Solano rode an onion truck all the way to the Washington Nationals. You know, he did cross the border from Colombia into Venezuela in an onion truck. Oh. Yes. I knew I wasn't going crazy. Okay. Yeah. So Because I've he... definitely heard the other story. That this was just him keep showing up to tryouts. But maybe I got the, like, cleaned up kid-friendly version somehow. <laughs> Um. Yeah, out of trial camp in Venezuela, but only after crossing the border in an in an onion truck, and thus was nicknamed the Onion. So did he smell like onions when he showed up? Probably. Uh, he also has the worst mustache I've ever seen in his current picture on Baseball oh. Reference. Oh, I don't want to see it. It's like Brian Harper's, but worse. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Ouch. It's, um. It's uh, it's beyond terrible and into terrible. There's right. amazingly bad facial hair in baseball. There's amazingly bad facial hair in professional sports. Um, not that I necessarily want to go like a no facial hair policy the way the Yankees have, but um, there's just some bad, bad stuff. Wasn't Blake Trinan rocking a pencil stash recently? 
and a soul so. patch and a soul patch. I'm not sure which is worse, actually. And doesn't Ollie have a goatee going on? That's just just he really definitely bad. he definitely has evil universe uh, uh, Oliver Perez goatee going on. And I was just like, bring back the beard. Beard was fine. This is not so fine. Did you see he didn't wear high socks last night and he walked someone? Ollie. So clearly he needs to put the high socks back on. Yes. Yes. Well, high socks are the key to power. Base yes. More baseball players need to realize this. Yes. Um, like, I would even settle for stirrups. <laughs> well, anything but... that involves the short pants and the high, yeah. high stockings. We'll just use <laughs> stockings for all, all below-the-knee garments there. Um, all high socks all the time. Except those baby blue ones. <laughs> no, God, those were those were in fact the worst. Those were so bad. Um, so obviously there's been a lot of trade trade stuff going on. We obviously talked about that a, a lot before we started talking about the, the ins and outs of, of drafting and prospects. But the biggest thing that we didn't talk about that happened in this in this trade deadline season was the trade of Raldis Chapman to the Cubs, and. He was, the Nationals were definitely very involved in and very interested in getting him. Um, thankfully, we didn't, but the three of us here are all pretty disappointed that we even tried in the first place. And uh, Laura wrote something very, very eloquent and to the point about that. I don't know if you want to say anything else. Um, I just think one of, the, one of the major points that I was trying to make in writing that article was that essentially... Here we all are as Nats fans. We're relieved that we didn't get Chapman and that we didn't actually successfully trade for someone who choked his girlfriend against a wall and then fired eight shots into the wall of the garage because he was so mad about it. But the fact is that we did go for him and that the reason that Chapman is not wearing a curly W today is not because of what he did. It's because he was too expensive on the trade market. And then this is an issue that we can't really just wash our hands of and say, well, we didn't get him. That's great. Yay. We're happy about Mark Melanson. Let's move on. Because unfortunately, this is an issue that I think all of Major League Baseball and all baseball fans really need to try to be conscious of and sensitive to. Because even the way we talk about the fact that we didn't get him is sort of a part of this culture in Major League Baseball and in, in sports in general of trivializing things like this because it was a player who committed them. And so even when we're talking about the fact that we didn't get him, which I'm equally relieved about as everybody else, I think it's still really important to be sensitive to how we talk about it and to make sure we're giving feedback to the reporters and the representatives of the ball clubs that are talking about him. And it, when they're insensitive about it, we need to speak up and say, hey, that's not okay. Whether that means you know just tweeting about it or what else, I just think it's really important that we don't step back and say, great, this is the Cubs fans' problem now. Yeah. Because they didn't want it any more than we did necessarily. And and this is all of baseball's problem and all of all of our mm -hmm. society's problem, frankly, that we trivialize active domestic violence all the time, but especially when they're committed by men in positions of yeah. power, money, authority. Yeah. Like and, major league sports. And talking about it is like honestly at the moment the only way we can hold anybody accountable for it because I mean I could say I'm not going to if we had gotten Chapman I'm not going to renew my season plan next season and that would have done dick as far as they're concerned um, so the only thing that we can do is just kind of keep bringing it up and being like guys we need to say this is that this is not acceptable even if no one listens well and I think there's also something to consider in the fact that the MLB has done 
not maybe definitely not enough to be clear, but more than other professional sports in terms of long-term suspensions and punishment for players who are involved in domestic violence and other yeah. forms of of partner violence um, or sexual violence. And the fact that it has having the unintended consequence of if you're a a, a player with good numbers, this depresses your value temporarily, and so you become more attractive to to teams. Yeah, and I mean, that's really perverse. I mean, I remember when when the Chapman stuff first broke during the off season, and the Dodgers immediately just backed off, right? And so his yeah. his stock plummeted, and the Yankees picked him up on the cheap. And I remember thinking. Like, it's pretty awful that he only got a 30-day suspension. And the reason for that, my understanding, was that that was actually to prevent the Yankees from capitalizing even further on the fact that he had done this horrible thing. Like, kept the Yankees from being even more of a gross organization than they were for picking him up in the first place. Because by suspending him only 30 days, they couldn't, they didn't automatically trigger a second year. Mm. of him working for them. And I'm like, I, like, I get that you're trying and you're, you've got some trouble and I, I, I see that you're trying, mm -hmm. but there needs to be something else done because right now you've created an alternate problem. Well, props mm -hmm. to the Dodgers, first of all. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, say, I think initially I, I would, they, I don't want to, I, I want to give them props for being like, no way we don't want this, but there might've been a certain amount of like PR issue going into it. Like it had literally just happened and they're like, Nope. We don't yeah. even want to take this on. Um, I, so props to them for backing off, but I don't know if it's entirely as good intention, as well-intentioned as we'd like to think. Um, True. But, I mean, yeah, so Jose Reyes on the cheap. Got and that's freaking hero's welcome. Yeah. Right, and so did Chapman in a lot of ways. Uh -huh. I've, had people, I've had people... I've had people taxing me, like, or not taxing me, but like, telling me, did you see Chapman's debut with the Cubs? And I'm like, I don't care that he can throw 100 miles an hour. That's not the point here. Like, the Cubs should not be, and I, the Cubs didn't get him on the cheap, but the Yankees just double benefited from this. And if the Cubs get to the playoffs on the back of Chapman, which it's not going to be on Chapman, but if it was that situation where they were getting there on the back of Chapman, they're benefiting from everybody just ignoring this like it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, well, and the welcome he got too—that is on yeah, the fans. That and is on we, the fans. We can't say, "Oh, Mets fans welcome Reyes, Cubs fans welcome Chapman," and, and pretend like we're any different from that. Because oh, yeah. let's be real—we have—we can't say that if they showed up at Mets Park, anything would be different, just because we want it to be. I I can say almost definitively that it wouldn't be different. I know enough Nats fans who would be over the moon to get Chapman, that I I'm sure he would get the same kind of reception here and we've been lucky if, as fans that like the I want, like the worst thing that nationals players have done and i'm just trying to to keep a list okay so there's elijah dukes who went to jail and right yes and uh, was i mean the list of things that were awful about elijah dukes was as long as your arm and that mostly happened when no one was paying attention to the Nats. Exactly. <laughs> but it's sort of if we think of, like, the modern era Nats, which, yeah. you know, but, like, yeah, if you think of the, the post-2010 Nats um, as just being sort of different because people are paying attention, like, Jason Wirth went to, to jail, not prison, jail for speeding. Um, Tyler Clipper drunk, drove drunk when he was in high school. Yeah. Ian Kroll said some pretty nasty stuff on Twitter and then got suspended by the A's. And Daniel Murphy decided to open his mouth. Yeah. Like Oh, and then of course, you know, 
Papawan choked somebody. Uh, yes. That was a teammate, so it's like it didn't happen at all. Yeah. Um, but, like, at the same time, you know, as we, like, it's not a question of if it would happen with a Nats player, it's when it's going to happen with a Nats yeah. player. Yeah. Um. And we have, we have been phenomenally lucky thus far. Yeah. Um, at least in terms of things that we are aware of. I mean, I, I, I really would like to believe that nobody that we've got at the moment, um, would do something like this, but statistics tell me otherwise. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and statistics have, will tell you otherwise, and then you get into, well, they're rich men. Yep. In, who are who are adored and generally don't have accusers believed, and, like, that's another layer of, like, not just a general male population. Um, well, and Chapman's wife also, or girlfriend, I'm sorry, also didn't cooperate, which is incredibly common as well, yeah. in terms of the women who would be the accusers not actually wanting to go forward. And there's a lot of judgment around that. But the fact is that it's an incredibly difficult situation, and particularly if you would be going up against a Major League Baseball player in court. I mean, I can't even yeah. imagine how hard mm -hmm. that would be. Well, I mean, Jose Reyes' wife dropped the charges. That's why he's not actually in prison, because there was evidence in that case. This was not a he said, she said. There was evidence, and she dropped the charges. So that was mm -hmm. the end of it. Um so, and I mean, somebody who may be going to prison is uh, Oliveira from the, formerly of the Barves, now going to the Padres. And again, the Padres are making out like bandits on that deal um, because of the, the taint of this, as opposed to actually suffering consequences. The players aren't suffering consequences, the teams aren't suffering consequences, and too many people aren't. Well, this is clearly an issue that, that they're going to need to address with the policy moving forward, because I do think MLB's intentions with this domestic violence policy were good. And yeah, I would hope, given what they were actually trying to accomplish with this, that they'll actually take steps to do something about it. I would hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of see the see what the effects have been um, this season with the first the first run, as it were, and then mm -hmm. wait for the next round. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, because it's brand new, and you just don't necessarily know how things are going to play out. I mean, the best of intentions can lead to pretty much anything, and so now that they've actually seen how it's worked out, there's just always room for, for yeah. fixing policies like this to actually make them more effective once you figure out what their loopholes and downsides are. Yeah. yeah, I think the issue is, like, even, like, it's always going to disproportionately affect players who are not as good, because, like, and it's always going to dis probably disproportionately affect players who are not white. Yeah. And it's always going to disproportionately affect players who are not U.S. citizens. Well, and Chapman um, actually talked about that. And I, I didn't think that the way he made the point was particularly constructive. But it is an incredibly important point that the fact is that, that players who are not white, who are not American, are going to be disproportionately affected by this. And, of course, his claim was, so why am I getting targeted? Not so. Why aren't all those white guys also getting the treatment that I'm getting? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and so my my sense is like this was a real test of it because he he can throw above 100 miles an hour. Like he's probably the fastest pitcher in professional baseball right now. Um, but and if so, if you had someone who is a credible A player, um, you know they're probably and this is probably good going to be more likely to go to pr to prison over it. Mm -hmm. um, or at the very least, end their career. Or, or have their visa revoked or do a whole bunch of other stuff, mm -hmm. which if it's a, you know, intimate par partner violence was act is actually disproportionately going to affect said intimate partner um, as well. Yeah. But, like, 
and and, and this is like I don't want to name a a popular good white player because I don't want to be like oh well you know but you know if X right. person got accused of it but like we can all sort of think of the prototypical popular white player if they get accused of that like it's going to be handled very differently let's let's look at here let's it's not the same situation at all but it's the best thing i can think of in terms of policy and this kind of thing we've seen with uh pd use mm -hmm. i can only think of two popular white players that have been accused and only one suffering any consequences yeah i mean and that's the, and you know that it's that they're that the white players are doing it too, uh, but only one of them suffered consequences, and his consequences were have been significantly less than every uh, non-white player and every non-U.S. citizen player that has has gotten has gotten a suspension or a fine or whatever. Actually, mm -hmm. no, I'm sorry. There's two. Right, there's two because there's Josh Hamilton is the other one. Mm -hmm. I was thinking of um, Ryan Braun specifically. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. But so, I mean, obviously these two things are like wildly different in yeah. actual effects, but you can kind of see the pattern playing out. Yeah. And so, like, my feeling is, is I agree with Laura, like, the policy probably does need to get revised um, and that the only way to sort of see the consequences of it were to put it in place. But I'm not, I'm not entirely convinced that the policy has been really tested yet and I'm not obviously wishing for that to happen but I still think that we haven't seen sort of the full depths of the way that it's going to shake out yeah no I completely agree because I mean the, the the quickness with which teams manage to game this policy means we'll fix it and then they'll figure out how to game it the next time around and hopefully it'll lead to us having a policy that can't be gamed but um, obviously steps have to be taken or else, uh, otherwise, I mean, because, yeah, the teams at the moment have no consequences. I do want to just throw out there, and this might be totally off-base because baseball is always going to be a business, but I do think the more diverse management becomes, the less likely we're going to see these kinds of biases in the system where we're talking about non-white players getting disproportionate punishments and issues like domestic violence tend to be taken more seriously by the people who suffer them more, commonly women. And so not that this is a fix-all, but when we're talking about these kinds of institutional biases, I do think that something that would help quite a bit would be having more people higher up in Major League Baseball who are women, who are people of color, who are women of color. I know that's a revolutionary idea in, you know, such a white dude kind of area, but that when we're talking about biased punishments and people wanting to game these kinds of systems, yes, baseball is always going to be a business, but there are certain biases that you can make less common by diversifying the decision makers. Of course, yeah. Um, change, change the way, change what you're focusing on in the business, too. Um, you know, you have more diverse people, you'll see maybe maybe having Aroldis Chapman is not the only solution to the business problem that you're having as the Cubs. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, if, if it's, Chapman will get us to the playoffs and that's a good business decision, well, maybe there's other business decisions that having more diverse people being like, that's not the best one we can make, because we can avoid this. And, I mean, and fans need to, I, I Honestly, the fan bases need to start thinking about this differently. I mean, yes, we have to change the upper echelons, but to a certain extent, how much are the upper echelons going to change until fans start, you know, doing what we're doing 
you know, fans have been doing this, but like really coordinate this kind of thing so that there are consequences. And they yeah. do suffer. <laughs> I, I just feel like sometimes with that, a lot of it gets basically put on female and non-white fans. Oh, to, of course. To do that. And, like, the MLB doesn't actively court us. Nope. Like, you know, the MLB doesn't really care that a bunch of women might in Chicago might be like, oh, we're not watching the Blackhawks anymore, and I guess we're not watching the Cubs anymore. Like, yeah, because that's not the demographic that they think that they be, need. It, yeah, but at the same time, like, that is a demographic that they need. Like, that's a demographic with purchasing power. That's a demographic who is into sports. Like, and, and so I think that, that you're right in some ways, but at the same time, it ultimately, you know, it ultimately has to be bad for business, but I, the onus is, is on the players themselves and ownership. Yeah. And well, management. They have to, it has to, they have to do the top-down stuff. Yeah. They have to. And... I don't know. I they need to know that they have to do it. Mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm saying. Um, and yes, getting more people involved who care, as as you said, diversifying upper echelon is going to be important in making them understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it would also be nice for me because I can't change that. I can't change that. But I can talk to the people I'm sitting with and be like, don't cheer for that guy, and make them understand why. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know, but you're right. It does put it puts onus on the people who are already suffering. So I don't know if they, we're not going to come up with a solution to this. No, I mean, but the good just, thing, yeah, the, the good thing that I would point out to is in terms of voices of fans and sort of smaller media sources and all that sort of thing is social media and the internet have, for better or for worse, given everybody a platform. And so the fact that we can sit here and talk about this and record it and put it online and people will listen to it and people have read that article. I heard from a couple of my friends who are not baseball fans, but they read that article and now are thinking about it for the first time. I heard from some Nats fans who are really thinking about it for the first time. The fact that we don't have a position in MLB and yet people like us are able to make statements like this and reach other people with them is a really big deal. And I mean, that's, that's what we can do to hold people accountable and just not stop talking about it. Right. And there are already some, measurable effects in terms of what some people are doing on social media. I don't know if you guys have seen on Twitter, um, the handle is at Pitchin4DV, so number Mm -hmm. 4DV, and this is a Twitter page that someone has started to sort of coordinate efforts towards donating to anti-domestic violence organizations every time Batman records a save. And he actually blew his first save in Chicago, but a bunch of people decided to donate anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this, the Twitter account that I just named isn't actually collecting donations. They're just sort of coordinating and trying to get a sense of how big it is. Um, but as of now, the, they've got 54 people telling them that they're pledging up to, it's gotten up to $428 per save and $1,325 per strikeout. And that's just in one small corner of Twitter. That's pretty good. So that's very encouraging that people are, people in Chicago Obviously, not everybody, but certain groups of fans in Chicago are taking this seriously. And while they can't do anything to change the fact that the Cubs traded for this guy, they are doing something they can do for those who have the means, which obviously is not everybody. Um, But some fans who do have the means have decided to mobilize and donate in honor of his safe stats. And that does make a difference. Domestic violence organizations literally save lives. Yeah. 
and if nothing else, I mean, even, the money is almost, obviously the money is helpful, but the money is almost irrelevant because it's getting, it's drawing the attention to those organizations um, and the topic at hand. You know, mm -hmm. money, the money's, they're going to take the money, um, but drawing that attention from a wider audience just in terms of like, if you get it big enough that people have to talk about it beyond just one little corner of Twitter brings the attention. And that's really, really important. I do wonder how much the organizations are also doing player education as part of this. I, well, in theory, part of the domestic violence policy is supposed to include counseling for the player that actually committed the crimes, but I don't know details on what they're doing with other players because, you know, yeah. what is, what's the saying an ounce of prevention yeah. is yeah. worth a pound, a pound of cure? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm, they definitely are doing something, because I know Jose Rez said that he had been through a course of anger management and was still doing it, or some kind of therapy and was still doing it. Mm -hmm. um, but that is a good question, is like, are they using these situations to have classes for the entire team, saying, hey, shouldn't have to say this, but don't do this. Well, like, and I think you have large groups of, as we said, like very young men um, who are mm -hmm. from different, vastly different cultures. Um, and, and that's not to say like international draftees, it's just they tend to be younger. That's it. And so you yeah. get folks who are very young and impressionable. And one of the sort of perpetual myths about sexual and domestic violence um, is that the, for the, the people who commit those acts is that they think that everyone does. Mm -hmm. and that they think it's just not talked about. And so it's not even an ounce of prevention. It's it's also teaching folks to, like, do not assume that no one you know hits their girlfriend and do not assume that everyone you know hits their girlfriend. Yeah. Um, and so it's not even just don't do this. It's about sort of broader awareness of, of sort of yeah. a whole bunch of different stuff involved in power dynamics and relationships um, that really can, if, if you take someone who's 16 and talk to them they already have preconceived notions about how relationships should be. And so saying, no, this is not normal. This is not what everyone does. If you think that everyone does this, you are incorrect, is yeah. going to be like and letting a them valuable talk to use of people's. Yeah. Encouraging them to talk to each other and share their own stories so that they know, yeah. like, they, it's not just somebody's telling them, no, what you're thinking is wrong, but actually, like, have them all talk together and be like, yeah. Well, Josh Donaldson has spoken mm -hmm. out about the fact that he actually grew up with domestic violence. Um, and so I, I hope that a lot of other players have read what he's written and heard what he said, because I think hearing it from another player um, about basically watching your father beating your mother and how Josh Donaldson has spoken out about this, I think that's a really important step here, because some players are only going to be able to hear it from certain people. Well, because I even wonder about some of the players, too, and they obviously can't call out their own team because bad things would happen. Yeah. But I do think there's got to be some kind of protection for stuff like this. Yeah, I mean, the issue becomes, like, people are very hesitant to say to say anything against their own organization. Or, you know, in the case of God, when, you know, they were asking nationals about what they thought of Daniel Murphy saying stuff about Billy Bean, and they just said, I'm just here to play baseball. Right, mm -hmm. and, and it just becomes a, I have you know I I'm looking out for my own career. I'm worried about I'm going to get traded. I'm going to be known as a clubhouse cancer, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, which is obviously a problem. 
And that this is the. Go ahead. Yes. Sorry. No, and this is sort of a larger macro scale societal problem. But at the, at the same time, I, I don't care what Sammy Solis has to say about this. I care what the national organization has to say. And they said that's, what they wanted to say. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. So I think you sort of hit a wall. Yeah, yeah I think. I think we've said as much as we can say here on this um, because we're just going to talk in circles and it, and it's frustrating. It's frustrating as a fan because you want there to be an answer and there's not an answer because we have societal issues. We have team culture issues that need to be changed. We have management issues that need to be changed. We have racial issues that need to be changed. And so it's very, very difficult to be like, I'm so mad about this and I want something done. And the solution is to raise it all to the ground, honestly, and start again. Um, but maybe if we just keep this conversation happening, eventually, I mean, why do you think we have a domestic violence policy in MLB at the moment? Now, somebody finally had had enough and was like, we're doing this, clearly. Mm. So, yeah, and I'm interested uh, to see how they're going to revise it, because I think I think you're right. It's going to get revised, hopefully. It's going to have to. It's yeah. going to have to. Because um, this is definitely not, this is not what they intended, I'm no. sure. Um, so, we'll just have to keep an eye on it. And I guess... Um, but yeah, sorry to end on such a down note, everyone, but I'd say take this opportunity, you know, if you're just as mad as we are um, and as, as mad as many other people are, take this opportunity to look into things that you can do uh, uh, to educate people about domestic violence, even if it's just talking to the guy sitting next to you at the ballpark, if, if that's something that you feel safe enough doing, you know, or donating money to a local organization, or checking out, what was that? Um, Pitchin' for DV on Twitter. You know, check this stuff out. Look into your local organizations, see about donating money, and don't let people forget about it. Don't, don't let people stop paying attention because these guys do their jobs really well. The biggest point is don't let this just become something we move on from because he throws 105 or hits a lot of home runs or whoever it happens to be. Well, yes. So down note, but there's some things maybe to do. Obviously, please contact us if you have any thoughts or comments or questions. If you just want to talk to somebody else about this, if you genuinely want to have a conversation with us, please contact us on Twitter, Rest in Pitch Face, on Tumblr, Resting Pitch Face Podcast. Um, you can't really contact us on iTunes, but you can listen to the podcast there or send us an email at uh, restingpitchface at gmail.com. Um, and for that, for Resting Pitchface, I'm Kay. I'm Laura. And I'm Sydney. Let's go Nats. Let's go Nats. Let's go Nats. Please come back, Tyler. It's not the same since you went away We really miss your eyewear And the way you confused that is at the plate There's a seat for you right next to Drew And we need you to pitch the aid Besides, there's no other team uses chocolates out to celebrate